0: So if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40, and our text this morning is Isaiah 40, uh, verses 1 through 11, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the love that you've sent in Christ, Lord, to rescue us, to forgive our sins, to bring us into right relationship with you. And we pray this morning as we look at Isaiah chapter 40, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts and Lord, that you would encourage us, Lord, to step into all that we are in Christ, to receive your your love in our hearts and your hope and your joy, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to our Advent reading uh, for This morning, which is Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses 1 through 11. And as our practice here is, is that we use our Advent reading uh, as the text for uh, our teaching time. And that helps to reinforce uh, what families are doing in their homes uh, as they celebrate Advent with their kids and their family members. And it encourages us because it brings us back A lot of times it brings us back to the Old Testament and where God speaks to his people then and he speaks to our hearts today. Isaiah chapter 40 is one of those chapters that is uh, pivotal historically. And as we understand a little bit about the historical context, we begin to understand how rich it is for us today. And so when we look at Isaiah, it's basically divided into two halves. Isaiah chapter 1 through 39. The prophet speaks to both the northern kingdom, which is Judah, and the southern uh, the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And he speaks words of judgment to them. He speaks words of, of calling them to account for Uh, their waywardness and their sinfulness. And for the northern kingdom, Israel, he confronts Ahaz, and he confronts Ahaz in chapter 7 of Isaiah, and he says, Ahaz, don't align yourselves uh, with Syria. Don't align yourselves with pagans in in an attempt to, uh, to destroy your brothers who are in the southern kingdom, Judah. And and Ahaz says, no, I'm going to do it my way. And the prophet, really in, in a literal way, begs him, look, just ask for whatever sign you need from the Lord to know that God is speaking to you. And what does Ahaz say? He'll have none of it. And so the prophet Isaiah says, well, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. Isaiah also addresses the southern kingdom and in particular king Hezekiah comes to king Hezekiah and says don't align yourself once again it's the same story don't align yourselves with Egypt and thinking that Egypt's going to rescue you keep your heart towards the Lord. Now, Hezekiah, he repents of that, but then he lets the Babylonians in and shows them all his treasures in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Isaiah says to him, because of that, God is going to remove you and this people when you pass Hezekiah. He's going to take you into captive for 70 years into Babylon. And so the first um, uh, 39 chapters of Isaiah are somewhat bad news. They're filled with promises such as the coming of the Messiah. And then a shift occurs in 40 through the end of the chapter. In 40 through the end of the chapter, the prophet begins to speak to the needs of a people that are going to be in captivity a hundred years from the time Isaiah wrote this. And he begins to speak into their heart the things that they, they are going to need. And technically, when you look at this, if you're a Bible person, Bible study, uh, some of you are Bible scholars, I would say, is what the prophet Isaiah uses is a, is a term that is called prophetic telescoping. And what he does is he takes out in a sense, he takes out a telescope and he looks through that telescope and sees what's coming immediately and then what's coming farther out and then what's coming way in the future. And he captures the heart of God for both the present and the immediate situation. And he captures the heart of God for us. How many of you have ever been up to Mount Major in New Hampshire? Wow, just one person you guys are missing a treat uh, it's about an hour and a half from here um, Mount Major is this like modest hike of about a mile and a half or so and uh, I can tell you're gonna need this hike because you you do this hike and it's like this and you you get up the top of the mountain and you say wow I really did something physical and I, I think most of you guys like drive a desk or something so it, 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 it'll bring you to the top. And Mount Major overlooks Lake Winnipesaukee. So it's the, one of the largest lakes in the United States. If you ever wanted to know where God lives in the summer, God lives up on the Lake Winnipesaukee area. And Lake Winnipesaukee, immense body of water. And as you're standing on Mount Major, you're facing east. And just beyond the lake is Wolfboro, You can see that from Mount Major. And just beyond Wolfboro is the Ossipee Mountain Range. And on a very clear day, if you're on top of Mount Major, on a very clear day, as, as you face northeast, on a very clear day, you can see the tippity top of what mountain? Oh, you gave it away, Alex. You're the only one that's been up there. We want to let all these southern people and people from all around the United States. You know, it's the largest mountain in New Hampshire, New England, East Coast, the world. No, that's the Himalayas. (laughs) And so if you were to kind of picture yourself on the top of Mount Major, you would see Wolfboro. You see the Ossipee Range. You would see um, Mount Washington. What would you not see? I, I, some, of you, some of you are not cooperating with me this morning. So, so you would not see what? You would not see the valleys. You would not see the little townships. You would not see the little hills. All you would see is what? The mountain peaks. And so uh, the prophet Isaiah is like that. He sees what's happening in the divided kingdom in his day, present tense, he looks a uh, hundred years ahead and he sees the Babylonian captivity that's coming. coming and, he, and he speaks to them. And as you read the end of Isaiah, you see the consummation of all things with the millennial reign of Christ coming. And Isaiah speaks to that. And so when we come to our chapter, chapter 40, and look at verse 1, Isaiah says, comfort, take a look at it with me. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speaks tenderly to Jerusalem. And what the prophet Isaiah is speaking to is the people that are in exile and that they would be in exile for, uh, for 70 years. And what the prophet Isaiah is speaking to is the needs of the people that live between the mountaintops. He's speaking to the people that live in the valleys. He's speaking to the people that are living with no hope. He's speaking to the people that are living in a place where they're asking themselves, where is my God? Have have any of you lived in a, a place like that? I've lived in a place like that. I've lived in the place between two mountaintops, the promises of God that were fulfilled in the past and the promises of God that I looked forward to. And it's in the midst of those two promises, promises that we've experienced and promises that we look forward to that in our hearts we say, where is my god in the midst of those two experiences we often ask ourselves these questions like why are my prayers not answered we often ask ourselves does god still love us in the midst of these two experiences promises that we have seen god do and promises that we look ahead with hope in our heart and faith. God, would you answer my prayer again? God, would you speak to me? God, would you let me know that you love me? God, would you come and heal the sickness that's in my family? God, will you do and be great again on my behalf? See, that's where the children of Israel are living. They're in captivity. They're in exile. Like some of you from the south understand what being in exile is, being in New England. You're longing for the promised land again, in real barbecue. The children of Israel are in that place. And God has this type of word to them. Come to the text now. Maybe you can see the history and maybe you can step into the application for your own life. The word of the Lord is comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to them. The first thing we can notice about the verse is who the people who the people are called the people are in exile and god says this to them you are my people i've not forgotten you i know who you are i know where you're living and i know the number of years that you're going to live there because you are my people when we live between two promises, the ones that we have experienced and the ones that we're hoping for, God says that when you're in that valley of life, just as he said to the children of Israel who are in exile, when you're in that difficult, in, when you're in that difficult place in life, you are my people. I have chosen you. I have bought you. I have redeemed you. And as the prophet's going to tell them, when those 70 years are up, God will deliver you because you are who? Who do you belong to? We belong to the Lord. And in all of life, if there's something to keep close to our heart, is that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are set apart. We are called by his name. We are loved by God, and he will never forsake us. For his loving kindness is new each and every day. His mercies are new each and every morning. And so the the prophet relates to the people that never forget that you're my people. Then he speaks to them and gives the pastoral or the prophetic word to them, which is our word to one another, and it's the primary job, I would think, the primary job of a pastor is to do what? Is to encourage God's people and to exhort them and to encourage them to experience the comfort of God. Do you know that verse in 1 Corinthians fourteen three where Paul defines the prophetic word? He says that speak to each other, not with, you know, tongues might, you know, are not going to really help, but if you speak a word of understanding and it defines the prophetic word as edification, 1 Corinthians 14, 3, edification, exhortation, and what's the third word that the Apostle Paul says for pastors to speak to the people and for people to speak to one another? It's edification, exhortation. Can anybody guess what the last word is? Preachers Preachers are pretty predictable. They use the same word (laughs) like hundreds of times, hoping that someone would get it. Comfort. That you would experience the presence and the tenderness of God in your heart and life. Doesn't the Apostle Paul say something like this? To comfort one another with the same comfort you have received from the Lord. And so the prophet comes and he says, comfort, comfort my people, speak tenderly to them. And of course, one of the things that is always good that I I learned this big truth in seminary Always ask the question when someone's teaching something, why? Or even more precise, so what? Like if you ask the question, if you're listening to a preacher and you say, well, that was a nice, like, whatever. So what? Why does the Lord speak to them? Why does the Lord tell the prophet? Why does the Lord tell the minister to comfort God's people, and to speak tenderly towards them. Why? And the reason for the the exhortation to comfort God's people is so that we would not be dependent upon our circumstances of life, but to be dependent on the Lord. So why? So that we could experience His joy in the midst of life. That's the why. Now, I grew up in New England, and I know New Englanders pretty well. And sometimes when you speak to New Englanders and you say, you know, the, the Lord would want you not to be subject to your circumstances, but have, have, the, have his joy in the midst of all things. A true New Englander will look at you and go, I don't think so. I'd much rather be, it's rainy outside, it's cloudy. I think I'm due for one day of depression and staying in bed all day. But the, but the heart of God towards us is that we would experience his victory, that we would experience his power, that we would experience his joy in the midst of all situations in all circumstances in our life. What's the historical context? You have a people that have been taken into captivity. They've been taken from their homes. They've been sent to Babylon. They're wondering, is there a God? Does he still answer my prayers? I know the promises of the past. I know he's been faithful, but will he be, will he be faithful to the ones that I'm clinging to today. And the prophet says to the people, yes, comfort my people with the truth that they can have victory and they can have joy in the midst of their all, all their situations because God is sovereign and he is in control of all things. The prophet Habakkuk speaks to the same truth. If, if you have your Bibles, you're gonna, if you head towards uh, the New Testament, you're going to run into Jeremiah, you're going to run into Ezekiel, you're going to run into Hosea and Micah and Nahum, and you say, I've never heard these books in my whole life. <laughs> you're going to run into Hab- Habakkuk. If you run into Matthew, you've gone too far. Come back a, a few pages, and you'll run into Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3 speaks the same truth that Isaiah is trying to speak. How do we live in that place where we're living between these two mountaintops and we're living in this valley? How do we live there? What is the Lord's heart for us? And Habakkuk captures that in Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Habakkuk writes in Hebrew, And he he writes poetically, and he says this in verse 17. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, the prophet saying, even though I'm in the, in the valley of economic despair, even though relationships, I'm cut off from those that I love, uses the imagery of sheep and flocks and being cut off from the herd. Even if the circumstances of my life are not pleasant, the prophetic word that Habakkuk speaks to the people is the same word that Isaiah speaks. Verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places and the choirmaster sings out of the sovereignty and glory and strength of God. He sings joy in his heart towards the Lord. Why does the prophet speak comfort? Ye comfort my people. Because the Lord loves his people and he understands that they're living in a dark time and the Lord reminds them that he loves them. They belong to him. He has a purpose. He's going to execute that person. uh, He's going to execute that purpose and plan so that they could take joy and have confidence in a god who continues to answer their prayers and continues to respond to their needs the rest of our 11 verses remember that little story i told about standing on mount major and looking out at the peaks The rest of these 11 verses speak to those peaks that are going to come And so Isaiah, through the prophetic telescope, looks ahead to the coming of Christ and looks ahead to the fulfillment of all things in Jesus. Briefly, come back to the text and see if you can't see that with me. In verse 1, he says, Comfort comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so there's two aspects there. There's an immediate fulfillment, and then there's a future fulfillment. The immediate fulfillment is what happens after 70 years. Cyrus writes out a decree, and the people are released to come back to Jerusalem. And what happens at the cross our sins are forgiven. We're cleansed and pardoned by the work of Jesus Christ. Look at the next one with me. In verses, say, three through, 3 through 5. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. And uneven ground shall become level." And the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So once again, digging a little deeper, you see prophetic telescoping going on. You see an immediate fulfillment of that in Ezra chapter 3. In Ezra chapter 3, the exiles come back. And what happens in Ezra chapter 3? They initiate temple worship again. And God shows his people his glory. Then you look farther into the future. And who says these exact words in the New Testament? John the Baptist. These words are attributed to his ministry of preparing the way for the Lord. If you look uh, prophetic telescoping to the end of the age... What we see is that glorious second coming of Jesus Christ and the millennial reign of Christ. You see the prophet showing us what's going to happen in 100 years, what's going to happen in 500 years, and what's going to happen at the end of the age. Take a look at the text again, and you see the same aspect in verse 6 through 8. A voice cried, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, with the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. What's the prophetic telescoping here? It's a reminder that life is brief. It's a reminder that you can trust in the promises are that you've trusted in the promises of God, you can trust them today, and you can trust them for tomorrow. Why? Because His Word is true and stands forever. Last one that we can see, this aspect of prophetic telescoping, or prophetic forthtelling that we can see in the Old Testament. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem Where do we see the prophetic telescope? And you can go all the way back in the first episode in a sense is the children of Israel are in captivity in Egypt and God sends them a deliverer mighty to, mighty to war against Egypt and does what for God's people? Delivers God's people. You can trust in the promises in the past. What's going to happen in present? It's going to raise up the Medo-Persian Empire And what is that going to do to Babylon? It's going to crush Babylon. It's going to deliver God's people. And what's going to happen when we look to the New Testament and the coming of Christ is that John chapter 10, the good shepherd is going to come in love and care for God's people. And then the final, say, prophetic telescoping, as we look to the end of the age, who is going to come as a mighty Warrior on a white horse to deliver his people, Jesus Christ. And so the prophet Isaiah, when we come to drill down on it, affirms and encourages God's people that just as you trusted the promises of God in the past, you can trust the promises of God for the future. And that is just as The Lord has shown his love and his faithfulness and his tenderness to you in the past. He is going and will show that to you today in the midst of your struggles as we look for the final fulfillment of all things, the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. Why should we study the Bible? Because God's word is true. Why should we study the Bible? Or we could say, kind of crassly, so what? Because the Bible gives us over 350 promises of the coming Messiah that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And just as he has fulfilled those promises, he will fulfill each and every promise to us so that we can walk not based upon our circumstances of this life, but that we could walk in his joy, in his peace, and his hope. Just as we celebrate the first advent or the first Christmas, we look forward to the second coming of Christ when he will fulfill all things. And so, in closing this morning, if you find yourself between promises, where many of us find ourselves from time to time, know this, you can trust in a good God who loves you, that the promises that you've seen him accomplish in your life in the past, he will accomplish those things again, and he will fulfill all those promises at the end of of the age through the second coming of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can you say amen? Amen. We're going to invite Ben to come. He's going to provide a little transition for us. And we're going to close this morning's service uh, by sharing the Lord's table together this morning.